Everybody and welcome to the 321st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that gives you the secret password to the cardboard hoarder stash. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. Super glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, we had pre-release for Streets of New Capenna last weekend, and the official release is this weekend, so busy, busy week. What is on our agenda? We've got uh, four topics this week. Uh, we're going to talk about the weekend review on Magic Online. We've got a modern challenge and a pioneer challenge to talk about. We've got some uh, fun things that have moved in paper prices. Some things which are a surprise and some are not. We've got, and we're also going to talk about some of the online movers as well. Uh, you and I have some great uh, picks, including a reader's pick or a, a Discord pick, which hurts me that I didn't think of when I, the card came up. And then we're going to finish by talking about the uh, rest of the cards in Streets of New Capenna, both the main set and the commander version, which uh, has the whole Star Trek NCC thing going on. I, I really love that. Kicking things off with the MTGO metagame week in review, we'll jump on over to the Modern Challenge from April 24th. Uh, pretty straightforward top eight here. Yogmoth combo back-to-back in first and second place. Burn in third, Living End in fourth. Blue-White Hammer Time in fifth and sixth. Blue-White Control in seventh, notably run- running two copies of The Wandering Emperor. And Blue-Red Merktide in eighth. You know, uh, we I think we talked about Hammer Time. Is it a combo deck? Is it an aggro deck? The other uh, podcast or two ago. And now here's two copies in the top eight, along with uh, Living End, which is just so much fun to watch play. Yep. And welcome back, Burn. A bunch of the usual suspects. Uh, moving on over to Pioneer, the Pioneer Challenge. Also mostly uh, normal uh, metagame-defining decks here in their top eight. Uh, and I'll save the best for last. First place was Mono Green, Blue White Spirits in second. Fourth place was Winota, Lotus Field was in fifth. Mono Green again in sixth, Blue White Control in seventh, and Mono Red featuring four Chandra Dressed to Kill and four Den of the Bugbear was in eighth. Now, by far the most interesting deck of the week was over here in this Pioneer Challenge. Uh, this was the deck that finished third. I don't know what to call this. I'm going to go with four color Yorion Enchantment Pod on the basis that it is an 80-card deck with Yorion, it has an enchantments theme, and uh, that seems to hinge on the back of a specific card that functions a lot like Birthing Pod, but for enchantments. It is called Enigmatic Incarnation, a largely overlooked card up to this point from Theros Beyond Death. 
two green blue for an enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice another enchantment. If you do, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one plus the sacrificed enchantment's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So every turn, you're taking, say, a three casting cost art of, uh, enchantment, and you're replacing it with a four casting cost creature, which may or may not also be an enchantment that you can then scale up on the next turn. And indeed, they're running all sorts of interesting things in here. They've got four chain to the rocks. Uh, they've got a Fable of the Mirror Breaker, four Fires of Invention to cast things for free, four Nihilia's Presence to draw cards, basically cycle and uh, allow uh, them to lean into their four color uh, mana requirements, one Omen of the Forge, and four Omen of the Sea. And then they've got Cavalier of Dawn, Deputy of, Det of Detention, Eidolon of Rhetoric as an enchantment creature, Glasspool Mimic uh, as an enchantment creature, uh, actually, no, it's not. It's a creature shapeshifter rogue. Uh, but three Jukai right. nat naturalists certainly are enchantment creatures. They've got a Kenrith in here, a Knight of Autumn, a Moon Blessed Cleric, a card I had to look up. It's a 3 2, and when it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for an enchantment card, reveal it, then shuffle it and put it on top of your library. So it's basically a half of an Enlightened Tutor on a stick. Four Risen Reef in this deck. Um, one Skyclave Apparition, one Spirited Companion, one Tolsmere Friend of Wolves, one Yarok the Desecrated, one Yasharn Implacable Earth, one Yorion Sky Nomad in the main, uh, as well as the one in the sideboard, and four Portable Hole. This is quite the deck. I mean, there's some really fun synergies in here. Uh, I really like that um, you can do stuff like go find your Fable of the Mirror Breaker, when you sacrifice uh no you sacrifice an enchantment and go find a creature right yep so then um you're gonna you're gonna get the uh goblin shaman token from the fable and then you're going to sacrifice the the mirror breaker to the to go find a four drop creature uh you're just gonna get a lot of value as you go up the chain and once you learn the chains i imagine this is just uh, ridiculous to to keep going such an odd odd build very uh interested to see if this how this continues to evolve something this wide open every set that comes out they're going to have new options it's a lot like four color uh, omnath in modern in that way um the bar obviously for playability is higher in modern than it is in pioneer but uh as we've talked about before on this cast the power level of those two formats will converge over time as more and more sets are added to both because at a certain point, something like 80% of all the sets in Modern will also be in Pioneer. Yeah, there won't uh, there won't be much uh, space between them. All right, so that was the action over on Magic Online. Now we can talk about the big movers of the week in paper. We've got Voice of Resurgence from Modern Masters 2017 in non-foil going from 6 to $8, 33% gains. That's still in the back of Winota being a big deal in Pioneer. And indeed, we saw it in that top eight. Skewer the Critics foils, we already saw move uh, up from you know, 5 to 10, 10 to 15, 15 to 20, and this week they've gone 20 to 28, again on the back of heavy Pioneer play. Uh, Graven Carns, the filter land out of Future Sight, original foils going from 65 to 100, which is basically just a handful of copies drying up and pushing the price point on this original and possibly best art uh, version of this card up uh, to a new plateau. We've got Academy Manufacturer out of MH2, non-foils going from $5 to $8. Uh, 
Uh, I have a huge stack of this card. Foil extended arts, <laughs> extended arts, non-foils. Just looking for my exit. Not quite there yet, but I suspect by over the next couple months, Card Kingdom is going to cough up a pretty tasty exit point via buy list. Uh, it's on the back of treasure hype. There's so many ways that the new treasure specific cards and all of the all of the various uh, uh, food and clues, I guess, are the other two that are mentioned on Manufacturer. Right. Mistaken. Yeah. There's so many cards this year that have been have mentioned one of those three token types, so not a huge surprise. Well, you know, Modern Horizons 3 is going to give us the one that uh, does this game for blood, uh, food, clues, and treasure. Or so, whatever. You know. Who knows? Uh, brutal, we've got Golos Tireless Pilgrim, uh, which was banned in EDH a while back. Uh, M20 versions non-foil going 5 to 9 on the back of modern mono-black uh, deck hype. Aspiring Spike's been working on this for a while, and others have picked up on it and have run it to good effect, taking down several leagues. And uh, I haven't seen it show up in one of the challenge top 8s yet, but the deck is certainly making the rounds. Um, it also moved something else on this list. What was it? Uh, maybe it was... Maybe it was a card we left off. But I've certainly noticed uh, two or three of the, the cards that are showing up in that list uh, making moves. Got I brutal... think you're thinking of Nick Close. Oh. Like in, the, in the Magic Online list in a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Brutal Cathar at a Midnight Hunt going 250 to 450 on the back of Standard and Pioneer play. Radiant Archangel out of Urza's Legacy, just non-foil version of this card, which I believe is on the reserve list, going from 20 to 38, probably on the back of Giada Angel's um, with this new Angel Commander in Streets of New Capenna. Storm the Festival out of double feature foils going from 5 to 10 on the back of Standard and Pioneer play. Probably more Pioneer than Standard if people are picking up fancy foils. And then Cavalier of Thorns out of M20. Non-foils going 250 to $7. Again on the back of that Pioneer Mono Green deck. Flame Blessed Bolt is the other double feature foil on this list, going from $3 to $10 uh, on the back of Standard and Pioneer play uh, in quantity. And then Devoted Druid foils from Shadowmoor have been on the move for a little while here, given that it has combos with Luxior and uh, Vivian, if I'm not mistaken, out of Streets of New Capenna. Um, right. Just to name a couple of many combos that this card, many cards that this card combos with. Foils have pushed up uh, well over $100. You know, they're listed at six or 700 or something on TCG Player. I just split the difference and said 200 for argument's sake. Uh, and I would imagine you're trying to get deals done between 100 and 200. You're still talking about a, a fresh double up. And then topping the list, we have Collective Defiance out of Eldritch Moon going from $1 to $7 on the back of uh, Mono Red Pioneer play. And the foils were up uh, similarly five or 600% plus on the week. That's a... It's a great price if you can if you had a bunch of the collective defiance just laying around. Well, and if people cracked Eldritch Moon, they may well have had four or five copies of that sitting around. And uh, nothing better than some card getting activated from a set whose EV was dubious when you cracked it, and then finally getting to recoup <laughs> some of your your losses. Over on Magic Online, we have Layer of the Hydra out of the Mono Green Pioneer decks, and also via standard play making further moves. This is now a twenty nine ticket card. Uh, a rare from last summer, uh, up from 19 tickets earlier in the week, so 53% gains. You got Golos out of that mono black deck in modern, going from 8.5 tickets to 14 tickets for 64% gains. 
And then Nykthos, Shrine to Nyx, is the other mono, mono black card, as you referenced earlier, uh, out of Theros, going from 250 to 4.5 tickets, 78% gains. And then Storm the Festival uh, went from 1.3 tickets to 3.5, 170% gains, again, from the mono green Pioneer deck. And if you have have you watched any of that deck play, it is just a beautiful thing to watch. And, you know, as, as somebody who loves turning creatures sideways and doing great things, it's just goodness on top of goodness. You have about three turns to get in under them. And if you haven't presented, a, like, a, a serious threat by that point, then you're, you're going to have trouble. Yeah. Because they're going to start dropping haymakers left and right. Uh, that's the point. Okay, so already on to cards to watch, plowing right through here. Uh, here's a card I was surprised we haven't talked about yet. It was a four of in both the first and second place decks in that modern challenge this week. I'm talking about Grist the Hunger Tide, foil borderless version, currently available around $25 or so, and drying up at a, at a brisk pace, uh, yet another Modern Horizons 2 card performing well no huge surprises there this card does have a showcase foil version a regular foil version a pre-release foil version i believe i didn't double check that but i think that's true and uh and also this borderless foil version so borderless foils are down to 33 listings on tcg player near mint you can get them around 23 24 25 dollars i would imagine within a year or so these are going to go 25 to 60 this is a foil mythic out of a premium set, it is played as uh, as a four of in modern in a very prominent deck that has ridden through a variety of uh, evolutions in the metagame over the last year. Uh, a deck that was good before Modern Horizons 2 came out and only got better with a couple of things that were coughed up for it. It's also in 5k decks, uh, 5,000 decks on EDH Rec, and there are no major walls uh, of these foils. Most vendors have a, a copy or two copies in stock, and the ramp is looking pretty solid. So... Uh, and I think it's pretty obvious that the foil borderless version is preferred over the showcase. It's just better art, cooler looking card overall. Uh, those sketch versions don't really do it for a lot of people. And yeah, I think this is pretty obvious to get there. I mean, it, it's a, a mythic in a set full of uh, value just because we have talked about a ton of other Modern Horizons 2, Modern Horizons 2 cards over the last few months uh, i'm surprised we haven't picked this at any point either but if it's only 25 for the borderless foil and it is a four of in this combo deck that's uh kicking butt in modern yeah uh dive in this is a, a really solid pick and i might go do a couple of those before too long I can't argue with it in any way. Like, this is a great pick. <laughs> I, I stumbled over this because I was, A, looking over the deck list, prepping for the for the cast this weekend, but I was also uh, pulling together Corvold for EDH, um, looking to put together a vehicle to test Bootlegger Stash and its kind of optimal uh, habitat for, for Commander, and realized that this thing's minus two is you sack a creature, and when you do destroy target creature or Planeswalker, and, of course, Corvold wants you to be sacrificing things all the time, so it's just a... An, easy fit there um just great card overall really what's uh what's your first selection this week uh my first selection this week is a uh, modern staple out of modern horizons 2 it is unholy heat in foil uh it's an uncommon so there's no special version to chase you're just in the regular frame you can get uh copies for about two bucks on tcg player and uh while if you look at the 
near mint foils. Uh, there's, you know, 12 pages of listings. It's almost all ones and twos. There's only like two pages worth of people who've got four or more. And nobody has more than like 20. And if you look at the number that sell, you're looking at, you know, four or five play sets a day that get sold of this card in foils and non-foils. So the velocity on this is really high as befits a, a card that's, you know, in something like a fifth of all decks because it's, it's just ridiculously good with uh, the different builds of Is It and Burn and everything that you can do. Uh, I'm picking them to go $2 on the foils to $7, and I think that'll happen sometime in the next 12 to 18 months. Last time I looked at this, and I have looked at this in the last couple months, um, as, a, as a somewhat obvious pick based on its like top 10 level of play or whatever in Modern, uh, the inventory was just too deep. But we are down to 118 listings, which for a foil common is not bad. Was it common or uncommon? I thought it was... It's common. No, it was common. You're right. Yeah, it's You're common. Right. The The tricky part here is you can't really grab them in quantity from any one vendor on TCG Player, so you, you keep having to pay for shipping. Now, right. uh, if you look at uh, direct sellers, uh, that might be your best bet, but the thing is the direct sellers always have higher prices, so it tends to like balance itself out. Right. Um so yeah, reality is you're playing. What did you call that? Two dollars. Uh, yeah, around two bucks. You're gonna pay somewhere between two and three per copy, and then I think it's inevitable that original unholy heat foils will be like a ten dollar plus card. It's just a question of how long it will take. Uh, if we look at the foils, they've kind of been on a bit of a roller coaster all year. Um, but they started. Mm, I think the peak late summer as they were in high demand for people looking to add them to modern decks was three or four dollars and it's since trailed off as more and more modern horizons has been opened modern, modern horizons too mind you um but yeah i think it's just a matter of time i don't know i, I can't confidently say well that, whether this will be three six or 16 months but i can guarantee you that at some point down in the future unholy heat foils will be worth ten dollars plus and that's what i'm gonna be delighted to buy list out of stack of them yeah all right, so my final selection here was uh, one from the Mono Green Pioneer deck, and I'll preface this by saying I have stayed largely away from Pioneer specs so far, um, but there are clearly cards selling and moving. How much of that is speculation versus player demand is hard to say. Um, I find it kind of hard to believe that these are draining out as hard as they are, but when we're at the point where, like we are right now with this card, where we're basically mopping up, um, you're pretty likely to hit that next plateau. card I'm talking about is Cavalier of Thorns, a mythic out of course at 2020. We're down under 12 listings near mint on TCG Player with a very steep ramp. You can still get copies around $10 or so, depending on where you're looking, but they're going to be $20 foils pretty soon here. This has only ever been printed the once. It's a four of in the mono green deck in Pioneer, and it's not particularly expensive for people to foil it out. So... Uh, I haven't picked up any yet, but I suspect that if you move quickly on these and flip them into the hype cycle on the mono green deck, then you'll probably be able to claim a double up. I mean, it's got uh, some commander play, which is a nice backup, and just the the lack of um, other versions of the card because it's is right 
uh, before then, right? It was M20 was just, just before collect booster fund project, right. yeah. So uh, you don't have uh, you know a lot of versions to go chase, and this seems real solid too. You know, it's got the appeal like we saw it on the list this uh, this week, right? It was on yeah, Cavalier Thorns and non foils uh, that you just said they jumped from about two fifty to seven. So that's when you want to keep an eye on the, the just the foils. Because it was a good and, card. It was a good card in standard when it was legal. And then Pioneer was off the radar for a while during COVID. And so this is, you know, it's resurgence on the basis of mono green Pioneer suddenly being back on the radar. Yep. Uh, solid pick, James. I approve highly. All right. Your next one. My other pick this week is Lightning Greaves. Uh, I'm going on a slightly longer time frame, uh, 12 to 18 months. I'm talking about the uh, Double Masters Borderless Foils. You can get these for around $28 on uh, TCG Player. There used to be a whole lot of copies available, and the supply has been draining, and the price has been slowly going up, and now you can't get any under, like, $28. So uh, the most expensive version is the Masterpiece, clearly. That's uh, jumped up to $250 over the last year. And then you've got the original Mirrodin foil at around 40 ish And then you've got this one, which is you know, coming up fast. And this is clearly a fancier version of you know, an S-tier staple in Commander. Everybody wants Haste and Shroud for no matter what your Commander is doing. And so uh, I think that the time is right. If you didn't get any while they were cheaper, uh, now would be a great time to get in on some before they bump up to... Uh, I'm picking them to hit 50, you know, for just about a double up. And I didn't even look up the number on uh, EDH rec. Uh, what do you think the number is for... Uh, it's got to be astronomical, over 100,000? 300,000. No, over 100,000. I'm telling you it's in 302,864 decks. It's been printed in a bunch of precons, right? So Correct. That definitely been... that definitely skews that number, but yeah, you're still talking about 20%, 27% of all decks registered on an EDH rec running the card. And in terms of top cards all time past 2 years, it is uh, top 20? Yeah, top 20. So, you know, uh, I'm I'm picking the Double Masters foil. You can tell me about non-foils too. Um, I remember that the non-foils were a harder pull because they weren't there wasn't a dedicated slot for them in the VIP packs the way that the borderless foils were. But uh, either way, they're at a similar price point right now, and you should you should get in. It was more that VIP packs. Uh, were cracked and and people were attempting to flip them in the first three months after release to a greater extent than they were doing with the set booster boxes for Double Masters, uh, which contained the non-foil versions of the borderless cards. Um, and we are down to just 20 listings of the non-foil borderless version of this, somewhere around 25 or so, and I would imagine that those will track pretty pretty closely along the foil. Um, if you look at the kind of roller coaster of price, uh, for both versions of the card, they are mirroring each other pretty closely. So yeah, get ah, yours oh. while you can. I like that one a lot. Um, so this past weekend, we played uh, Commander with the usual crew from the Pro Traders, and we decided to stack the top of our decks 
with new cards from Streets of New Capenna and the New Capenna Commander cards to do some quick testing and see what worked and what didn't. And the commander that jumped out at me was uh, as being better than people might have realized was Ginny Faye Jetmere's second. This is a very, very busted commander. Um, I think a lot of people are paying more attention at present to the other Naya commander that is tokens focused. Um, if you look at the stats from EDH Rec, the most built commander from the set so far is Jetmere Nexus of Revels, who is also a, a pretty cool tokens commander. But personally, um, because Jetmere leverages total number of creatures on board um, and attacking, it doesn't actually advance your game plan in any way. So it, it's more of a, it's kind of like a standing, having overrun as your commander, where you're doing a bunch right. of tokeny things, and then because you have Jetmere in play, they're going to attack for big, big damage. That's cool. But honestly, there's so many cooler things you can do with Ginny Faye, Jetmere second. First of all, she only costs three um, and is a 3-3, so a solid early attacker and blocker in the early game. It's an elf and a druid, which are both relevant tribes in the game. And then if you would create one or more tokens, and this is the part people are going to miss, tokens, not creature tokens. If you would create any tokens, you may instead create that many 2-2 green cat creature tokens with haste or that many 3-1 green dog creature tokens with vigilance. So every treasure token you make, and they keep giving us more and more ways to create treasures, you're getting a creature. So if you have something like bootlegger stash out, now your lands tap for sizable creatures, three, three power creatures or 2-2 two, two haste creatures. And that flexibility in terms of whether you want to be able to attack and then defend within the same turn cycle, uh, you know, Vigilance is a pretty powerful ability in Commander that's probably overlooked too much. Or if you need to attack right now while somebody's defenses are down, you can get the cats and go in with haste. Uh, we saw a few dozen tokens on the table at one point, and they were using the, the card they had stacked on top of their deck was Rabble Rousing, which of course doubles the amount of creatures that are attacking with fresh tokens. And when those tokens come in, Ginny turns them into bigger creatures um, instead of 1-1 one, one Citizens. It got out of hand very, very quickly. And then their, um, the card that they they hid away using the hideaway um, on Rabble Rousing was, um, name escapes me, Crater Hoof. <laughs> and uh -huh. that was the game. So Ginny Faze does is very, very busted. Very, very easy to generate a ton of creatures very, very quickly by turn four or five and force the board to either wipe and reset or face the consequences. And because she only casts cost three, pretty easy on the first board wipe to pull her back out on five and then keep doing the same nonsense all over again. So the card I'm looking at is the gilded foil version of Ginny Fay, which has cool looking uh, uh, retro the art. Gilded, the gilded foils are outstanding. Yeah. And... I think Ginny Fay will probably has a chance to overcome uh, Jetmere and be the token commander of choice because she has a broader set of synergies. That may or may not happen. Second guessing 
the early results in EDH rec is not always the smartest thing. Jetmir has 455 decks so far. Ginny only has 105. So you might, at minimum, if you're going to build tokens, I, I'm willing to bet if you test both of those commanders, you're going to end up liking Ginny Fey more. And in which case, you'll probably want to look for an entry point on a Gilded Foil to headline your deck. Um, currently, they are sitting at around... You know, we're still in pre-orders because we're not to release weekend, but you can get them for about $20 on TCG Player and about $15 in Europe. I'd imagine they'll be even cheaper in Japan. Gilded Foils are not easy to pull, and uh, I would look for these to get down to maybe $12, $10, $10 to $12, and I've marked it on our sheet here as a price that does not yet exist, but my target entry to at least get my personal copy will be around that, that price point, and then I'll be trying to keep eyes on to see if the market turns towards Ginny as the token commander of choice, at which point I would look to pick up additional copies on price weakness. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you see that, uh, you know, it's dangerous to jump in too early. Uh, we are going to see the price drop and we'll see how far it will drop. Um, I mean, it's possible this, could, mean, this could end up being a four or five dollar card. Um, not in, definitely not in gilded foil. It, it could, it could. If nobody cares about it, decide nobody cares about the card and it's just lying around. The EV can can shift towards other cards even harder than it already is. I mean, we have triumphs, we have a bunch of banner mythics, we have some interesting other commanders in the set. So there are places for the EV to flow for sure. Um, well, if it makes you feel any better, it's going to take 140 collector booster packs to hit a. Uh, gilded foil of jenny fang as a so, rare as a rare uh the that's that's are, what i came up with when i did the math last week are the mythics one and 280 the mythics uh so it depends on which mythic uh some of the mythics are 280 some of them are 420 gotcha because the the number of because you got to roll for the mythic roll for the card oh and then you got, got to roll for divide by versions. versions as we've discovered over the last several sets got it uh, that makes sense um the funny and actually um that number's wrong because i have to go in uh they didn't put on the collecting thing about uh the commander cards being in the last slot of a commander boost of a collector booster so it's going to be a little bit more rare than that. I got to go back and fix some of the numbers gotcha. in that article. But you're going, to, you're going to update the article. Got it. I am. Um, one of the funny things here is this next uh, pro trader selection from our mod Nihilus um, is a bit of a non-bow with Ginny Fay, oddly enough. Luminarch Ascension, you have to survive three turns where you lose no life. And then you start getting, it's an enchantment for one and a white that you get to start pumping one and a white into to get four, four angel tokens. Uh, Ginny doesn't help you there because you would rather have four four angels than dogs or cats. Buddy, um, Ginny is a May ability. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it's not like Ginny doesn't enhance that card per se. Now, there are yeah. other cards in the Ginny deck that do enhance that card because you're going to be running Doubling Season and Parallel Lives and Anointed Procession and what have you and getting double the angel. So you'll probably still run it in the deck. Um, but there's no like specific synergy between the two. Um that being said, Luminarch Ascension, between Jetmere, Ginny, and any number of other token strategies, and the fact that Luminarch Ascension's only ever been printed twice, once in the original Zendikar and once in M25. 
So I like foils. That's what I was looking at this weekend over in Europe. There were some good foil copies that were about 15 or 16 bucks. Um, and you can still get copies, uh, straggler copies in the U.S. around 20. If I was picking up Luminarch Ascensions, I think I would be grabbing the foils myself to go, say, 20 to 40 or so. And hoping that it just dodges a reprint entirely outside of Secret Layers and, and Double Masters 2 and, and what have you for at least a couple of years. And then I think you're going to get a nice exit. Um, if it gets printed imminently in the next like few months, um, if it's a secret layer, you won't get the cards for six months, so you'll probably still make money um, right. because people are still building those decks. If it's in Double Masters 2, that's a different story. They could get very cheap. Um, so I think Plus, have... Double Masters 2 is likely to have some kind of premium version, like an extended art or whatever. It might. I mean, it could. Um, that doesn't strike me as one of the cards they would designate for that slot, but I could be wrong. Um Bottom line, Nihilus is recommending the regular M25 version of Luminarch Ascension to go 10 to 20 in the next six months or so. This is on the back of Giada um, being one of the more popular, uh, likely commanders uh, out of uh, Streets of New Capanna, currently in number three position uh, behind Jetmir and Rafine. Giada Font of Hope is a 2-2 Flying Vigilance for two, already solid stats. Each other angel you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it for each angel you already control, and then add white, spend this mana only to cast an angel spell. So it's a, on two, you can cast your commander, next turn you're going to attack, then you're going to tap, cast an angel, and as you start casting more and more angels, as you keep her in play, your angels are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So Giada looks like a fun angel commander. There are an increasing number of good mono-white cards that make mono-white decks more viable, um, including some that we will talk about when we get to the set review. And not tr tremendously surprised to see Giada driving uh, some fresh specs. I mean, Giada is just... Uh, I, I'll do, I love a commander that tells you exactly what to do, and Giada tells you, play every angel, play everything that makes angels, even better if you can get a bunch of angels at once, like a Starheim Unleashed, you know? Because you get a, a counter... Well, no, that doesn't work. Does it work? Because each angel enters the battlefield with oh, yeah. a 1-1 one, one counter yeah, yeah. for you already control. Hmm. Are, are you asking whether sure. Starheim angels get the counters? Yeah, do they see each other? Oh, do they see each other? Uh, you already control... Right, so you're saying like if the Sternheim Unleashed tokens only came in by themselves, right? Would they all be five fives because of Giada, or would they get a plus one plus for each? I don't know for a fact, but either way, it will be fine. <laughs> if you if you're casting yeah. Sternheim for say three with seven mana, and they come in at minimum as five fives, then you're doing fine. If they actually come in as seven sevens, then all the better. All the better. Uh, all right, so. That's that. I guess we will go get our Commander-in-Chief, Jason E. Alt, to help us with our Streets of New Capenna, New Capenna, Capenna Commander set review. Let's go get Jason. Welcome, welcome, Jason Alt. 
great to have you back for the big set review here. How you doing, sir? Oh, I can't complain, but sometimes I still do. Still writing for the best MTG Finance website. Fair enough. In the galaxy, coolstuffinc.com. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to agree. That's where the podcast is posted, so I can't argue with that. The uh, are you are you excited about Streets of New Capenna? Is it a set that is uh, that you think will be one of your faves? Or I finished my Olivia Crimson Bride deck last week. <laughs> so, so you're in no rush to catch up to the latest hype cycles. What you're saying? I'll never catch up. I have three quarters of an Umbras deck on my on my desk. I have like three quarters of an AO. I get two, three weeks tops to build a deck, and if I don't get it built in time, um, I just uh, there's two more products. They gave us nineteen legendary creatures, and then three days later gave us nineteen more. It's amusing that League of Legends folks and people in that genre of video gaming in general think that they have a lot of choices to make. The game is so small that like your individual decisions matter more in League of Legends. Like you can lose on the draft phase. I don't think you can lose on the commander selection phase unless you're playing CEDH. Sure. Alrighty. So we got uh, Streets of New Capenna and a bunch of New Capenna commander cards that are from the annual set of five decks as well as some cards that they sneakily slip into the set booster boxes that are marked as NCC but don't actually come out of the commander decks. Um, and there are a bunch of different variants that are available in different scenarios depending on what product you're opening. So we're going to go we're going to look at this a little differently than we have traditionally where we've looked at top cards by format. I think we're pretty settled these days that commander drives the truck for MTG finance and then, you know, standard pioneer, modern, etc. Um, are smaller chunks of the pie, uh, modern being the probably the second largest one, and now pioneer being uh, on the rise given the the way the tournament uh, agenda was set for the rest of the year. So I think we're going to look here at the top five mythics from the set proper, the top five rares, and with an eye to thing cards that might be brickable, meaning that if they get cheap enough, they might be the kind of thing where you can buy a nice fat chunk of them, you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, hundred copies, whatever. Stash away in the closet, check back in in 12, 18, 24 months, and get ready to flip them via buy list to Card Kingdom or Cool Stuff or whoever, and make a tidy profit. We'll also look at the top five rares from the NCC cards, the Commander Deck cards, slash set uh, booster cards, and then we're going to look at the top five, in quotations because it's actually seven, uh, chase cards from this set, since chase cards have been... Uh, pretty big deal. I mean, I made a lot of money this this month on flipping the Wanderer showcase foils and etched foil showcases from 100 to 200 or 100 to 300. So it's certainly worth keeping track of these chase cards. Uh, to kick things off, let's take a look at the mythics from the set proper. Um, I don't think it's too surprising to anybody that's been paying attention that Obnixilus the Adversary is looking like the biggest constructed mythic uh, on the agenda. I mean, you get casualty cards, you get uh, extra copies of Planeswalkers. That's always a fun thing to do, and you can get it with a huge number of loyalty counters if you just sacrifice the right thing. I don't have a lot of trouble believing that this is a standard playable card. I'm waiting to see the deck in Modern that demonstrates the use case. 
But people were similarly skeptical about the wandering emperor in modern, and it has posted up as a pretty consistent two of in the blue-white control deck. For the record, this is a three loyalty planeswalker for one black and a red. It's got uh, casualty X. The copy isn't legendary and has starting loyalty X, which means that when this comes into play, you can sacrifice a creature with power equal to X. And then the you get a second copy of Obnixilis, the adversary, uh, that will be based on that creature's power. Then Obnixilis and its copy both have plus one. Each opponent loses two life unless they discard a card. If you control a demon or devil, you gain two life. Uh, minus two is create a 1-1 one, one red devil creature token with whenever this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. And then the ultimate minus seven is target player draws seven cards and loses seven life. Uh, which I would imagine is a much safer ultimate in Commander than it is in Modern. Yeah, but this card's a little more fair in Commander. There are actually 11 Mythic Rares getting played more than Obnixilis currently. Or at least people are saying that they're playing them. Sure. So I think Elspeth might be a little bit better in EDH, and currently Vivian of the Hunt is doing better than either one of them. Yep, Vivian was flagged early as having some infinite combo potential and uh, also looks like just a generally strong green card that might post up in both Standard and Pioneer. Um, Obnixilis currently, and this is a trend that will come up over and over again in this discussion, uh, looking overpriced as cards tend to do during uh, pre-order season. I think the regular copies of Obnixilis are at $33, $34 right now. And uh, that does not have me excited. Cool stuff in Card Kingdom both went 45 bucks on Obnexilis. There you go. Uh, it's a lot of hype around the card. I want to see it proven out before I jump in. And I think if I was cracking CBs uh, this weekend, I would probably be looking to sell... Well, if I was opening set or draft booster boxes and had regular copies or, say, pre-release kits or something, I'd probably be looking to sell regular copies into the hype and holding the rarer fancy copies to see how things develop. Um, this next one I know we disagree on, Jason, so I'm looking forward to having you weigh in. Bootlegger Stash. Didn't sound like you were too excited <laughs> about it over on uh, BSB. Um, yeah. If you have a lot of lands, you don't need mana. Like I just, I, I'm trying to imagine when I when I want to have this be my whole turn. Gotcha. So there's plenty of other pro traders in the Discord that have had a, a similar opinion, and the counter argument that I've been trying to table is that this is a card that is more about synergies and combos than it is about um, ramping. It it has it as a byproduct. It can ramp you if you do less for two turns you could have some kind of super explosive third turn. But I think it's much more about, you know, you've got an Urza Lord High Artificer out, and now you, you're you generating mock sapphires every time you tap a land. Um, I, it, it it feels like this is an upgrade over something like... Brass's Bounty? Um, not Brass's Bounty. Um, I mean, certainly over Brass's Bounty, but something like when... You, double the mana you tap in the way that like tireless provisioner is somewhat an upgrade over lotus cobra but um just speaking as someone who plays a lot of edh uh, i'm i'm really not excited about this and i have like seven ramp decks so 
I guess if I'm trying to win the game with like Hellkite Tyrant or something like this, this is cute. I just, man, I'm I'm willing to be proven wrong on this. But it just it seem it seems kind of like um Man, you got to cut this. I, I don't know card names. The the, the the triple your mana creature. Next Blue Mansion. Next Blue Mansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it occupies that exact spot. And and like this has different potential. Like you said, it could be a combo card, but like, I feel like you have to take out something like that. Your mana doublers. So Nixblim Ancient is in 30,000 EDH rec decks, 6% of all green decks since it's printing. So Ooh. if it's in that, if it's in that class of cards, we wouldn't be doing too badly. And if we look at even Brass's Bounty, which is a one-time version of this effect that is on seven mana as a sorcery, um, that's in 24,000 decks on EDA track, 4% of all red decks. That's because red decks need that effect. Like, if this were white, we would be having a very different conversation about it. Well, I, I don't think that Bootlayer Stash gets the most value in, in mono green decks. It, it's a green card, but it's actually going to be best in things like Jund or Sultai, where you can leverage colors that really want to abuse artifacts. Yeah, whereas Brass's Bounty is getting played in Rakdos or something like that. Greenless decks that do want a lot of treasure. So, for instance, I'm building Corvold to try to test out the Bounty this oh, weekend. Yeah, and Ooh. and it's real going to be real nasty there. Like, I don't even really think I we're gonna we're doing this thing where we're testing the EDH, the new EDH cards on Saturday nights with the Pro Traders and just putting them on top, like putting them into people's opening hand, just to see how they perform. Yeah. I kind of like Corvald in an Agnes deck, so like Corvald actually could have some some pressure on it. I mean, it's top five commander by itself. So the... yeah, oh yeah, it's such a such an obvious card. But yeah, I, I see. I I think that Stash is much more about the fact that it's putting artifacts in play. The artifacts themselves then being sacrificed or leaving play. Or being replaced via like goblin engineer type effects swapped with other artifacts out of the yard, etc. Um, and and then just the simple, the greatly expanded treasure synergies that Wizards is dropping in our lap make uh, a card like this much more exciting than it would have been if it had been the first ever treasure card. Because you have things like revel and riches that are just going to like if you go stash into revel, you're probably going to win the game like within two turns. I I've never played a Revel in Riches and not had it threaten to win the game because it's just just like killing creatures. Right. Is about as easy as tapping mana. <laughs> um, James, can I interest you in an infinite combo for your Jenny Fay deck? Yeah. Go. Uh, bootlegger stash plus Earthcraft. GG. Just get infinite. You know, do do something else. If you know, play some. Uh, what was it? Impact Tremors? Just like instant win if you want. Some Perforos for fun. Just infinite creatures. Boom, shakalaka. Move on with what the it, day. What, how are you getting infinite creatures? Well, because you're getting... Uh, you tap a land. In Ginny Fae specifically, you don't get yeah. a treasure. You get a, a doggy. And that's yeah. what James is trying to say is that everything that makes... Token, everything that deals with tokens is better with uh, the stash. Sure. Not Bootlegger just stash plus divine visitation. Is GG. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, say it again. Say it again. That's amazing. Uh, dude, do you want ASMR? <laughs> like your stash plus divine visitation. So I don't put I don't put stash 
quite at the same level as, say, Meat Hook Massacre or The Great Henge, but I put it, if those are our nines or something, or if Henge is a nine and Massacre is an eight, then I put Stash at a seven. That's... I, I, it's so funny because I don't like the card. I would be like, 5.56 sounds very fair for this card. So like maybe I don't dislike it as much as... But like, I, I think I bristle so much at people acting like this is an 11. And I'm like, it's a 6 that I sound like both Statler and Waldorf when I talk about it. I certainly agree that in a, in a deck where you are just throwing it in without consideration of of synergies with other cards in the deck and you're just looking at it as a ramp tool there are probably just better options um you really want to be able to take advantage of the mechanical thing that occurs when you tap the lands and make the make the artifacts way more than i think you're looking to say cast ulamog or whatever off the back of this um so interested to see how this develops currently extremely expensive on pre-order very depending on the version you're looking at anything from and and which part of the planet you're looking at anywhere from twenty dollars a copy for regulars up to a hundred dollars plus for the foil borderless um i've snapped off a few copies in japan around fifteen dollars but otherwise i'm kicking back to wait and see how the edh rec stats go and see if it's going to justify uh further investment and at what price Moving along, we've got Arcane Bombardment. How do you feel about that one, Jason? It's like three, four bucks right now. That seems pretty reasonable on it. Um, it's uh, it's getting some play. Uh, it's just another one of those things like all these six mana flashy spells. It's like, oh, these are great. But like, I'm just thinking of what I have to take out. What do you take out to put an Arcane Bombardment? Is it like... Sunbird's Invocation or Thousand Year Storm or something like that. Like, it just seems like you're so jammed up at the six mana spot on your curve that if you want to add an Arcane Bombardment, something has to come out that's just as good and you're not really improving your deck. I don't know. It just, it, it feels like they're giving us just better versions of cards we already have and they're charging us another six seven bucks i guess is what that's going for now yeah. they're charging us another six seven bucks for a card we already have basically i certainly think i agree that in especially in the spells matters theme you're so glutted for options once you get to like five six seven eight mana and they're all aimed at this kind of iterative um access to things you've already done you know it's, it's all about instance checking for sorceries or sorceries checking for instance or counting the total number of instants and sorceries or whatever and it's easy for this as you said to be interchangeable when you only have one to three max slots to handle to to address this role in your deck will bombardment mm -hmm. stand out to enough players that it's going to get expensive i would imagine that foil extended arts of this probably do pretty well over time could be two years or something like that and they end up being a step down from something like fiery emancipation a card that i bought tons of in japan very very cheap and make money on constantly this Oof. isn't isn't quite up there because it doesn't have that showcase appeal of tripling all damage um yeah this is more you're in is it you're in jess guy you're in grixis 
you have a spells matters theme about your deck and this probably makes the cut if you notice it i so here's the thing so uh, it's six oh go ahead cliff i'm sorry no it's okay i was gonna say like um how much work are you gonna have to do with arcane bombardment to make it better than double vision Start but you there. can't do work with this. It's so limited by the fact that it's only the first time you play an instant or sorcery each turn. Compared to something like Thousand Year Storm, where you just have a good turn and win the game, a King Bombardment takes... It's it's like... um, Shoot, what's that? You're going to have to cut. I can't think of card names. The The thing where you put a counter on it and then get a 1-1 soldier every turn. Oh, the for 3 red-white? Yeah. Um. Oh, uh, assemble the legion. Right, which also go, which also goes in Ginny May, by the way. Yeah, this seems kind of like assemble the legion for is it, and it's you know very fair. But like you're tapping out at six mana, and then maybe you have brainstorm mana, and then you get it going. But it's just so slow Com- compared to something like you know feed the swarm or sunbird's invocation or you know thousand year storm i just this this seems too fair to me like it's cool it's a personal eye of the storm but it's assembled one of the other problems in the decks that would want some of this effect is that randomly selecting from instants and sorceries in your graveyard and then casting all that stuff doesn't help you if your graveyard has a bunch of counter spells in it so it really works much better with proactive destructive or board state enhancing spells than it does with passive or reactionary spells because you might not have targets you may not be able to counter and so forth and you don't have any control now once you get steamrolling with this thing it gets out of it gets it gets out of control pretty quickly but again you you would want you would again you would still want to be randomly casting four proactive spells at that point yeah, no, I'm I'm with Jason. This is much too fair a card. Okay. Like you you have you only get one per turn, so you've got to like cast it, hopefully get the one, and then you have to it has to live a whole turn cycle, and you might get one cool thing to happen, and then somebody says, "Oh God, no!" and they've got their Heliod's invocation ready to go. All right. So these next two cards, you know, I think we can debate the strength of the cards, but I think the cool factor is high enough. They're probably going to get there. First of those is Halo Fountain. Uh, Halo Fountain does a whole bunch of things uh, in a whole bunch of decks. Uh, obviously works in the token strategies for Naya, but we'll probably find a home at a bunch of other places. It's two and a white for an artifact, and it has three abilities. White tap, untap a tapped creature you control, create a 1-1 green and white citizen creature token. So right off the bat, you have combo enabling potential in the sense that you are tapping something to untap something else while simultaneously creating a creature, all of which may stack some triggers that lets you go through that cycle again you've got two white tap untap two tapped creatures you control draw a card so that may unlock additional potential and then for six tap you can untap 15 tapped creatures you control to win the game so kind of an auto include in white token strategies mm, auto include that's ballsy you think that the do you think that the third ability is so magical Christmas land that it's not reliable in those decks? I think it's worth trying for, but like then it's how are you attacking with fifteen creatures and not winning anyway? Yeah, so like how are you tapping them? Well, there's a lot of ways you could choose to tap them for value. 
Sure. You can um, the convoke spell where you make X creature tokens. If you, you mean want. using something as simple as opposition. Listen, I've won an EDH game with every card that says you win the game except Hedron Alignment. So if I thought <laughs> that I could break this, I thought if I could break, if I thought I could break this card, I'm I'm like, oh, I gotta win with Biovisionary. You know, <laughs> that that's the kind of stuff I like. I. I I mentioned winning with Hellkite Tyrant earlier. I love stuff like this ordinarily, but this is just so hard. Like I'm just looking at stuff like you're in Naya tokens and you tap Cranko, untap Cranko, make a creature tap sure. Cranko. <laughs> like that seems fine. Yeah. So Yeah, it's what what they did was they had spells that say you win the game, right? And everyone's like, it is too easy to win the game with revel and riches right like it's just it's trivial to win the game with revel and riches it's a it's a must get rid of and some people are like how is revel and rich in riches legal when coalition victory isn't and then they're like all right fine here's what we'll do we'll make it easier but you only kill one player that way everybody freaks out because like you know you can kill one player sure but then the other two dogpile you so you got to be real careful so they made the the you know you make someone Aether lose reservoir. condition a little easier. Yeah. Like Aetherflux Reservoir. Or like all the cards in Strixhaven that say, like this the, the Quidditch Stadium sure. where you can like just make somebody lose. And then, for whatever reason, a, couple, a year later, they went back to you in the game. But now it's so hard to do it, it's not worth it. See, in the tokens deck, I don't think they're going to have trouble getting to 10 to 15 tokens. And it's super valid to say that this might be win more. But if you're, but if you have, you just kill them with Beastmaster. If you have fifteen tokens in a token deck, like everything wins you the game. The the thing about this is somebody Teferi's protectioning, or likewise using some kind of fog effect in response to you attacking with all your tokens. It does not save them because you're just untapping them and killing them, killing the table. Well. I see what you're saying, James, that like this is a, a card that says you win and it's got a condition that I, I think it is a win more card. And I don't think that's going to stop very many commander players from playing this out because you're going to make it makes more tokens. It draws you the cards. It does the cool things. And uh, most of the time it's not going to go in a color that's going to untap the artifact in some uh, annoying way. Right. That's usually a blue thing. And this is probably going to be a Naya deck. But not necessarily. There's there's no re- there's there's no reason this can't be in red white tokens and Jeskai tokens with with all with monastery mentor and a bunch of spells and young pyromancer. There's all yeah. sorts of things. Esper, Esper tokens. You're making. And here's the thing. I don't think this is actually a win more card. The third ability is, but the first and second are utility synergy card abilities that are relatively cheaply costed. I mean, drawing a card for two is very reasonable. And you're doing that by untapping creatures that you just attacked with that are now available to block. So you're getting a pretty pretty significant amount of value for that that two mana activation. And even when it's just creating a token, you know you're in a deck with anointed possession and parallel lives and doubling season and Ginny Fay. So you're untapping a tapped creature, which may or may not generate value on its own, to generate a three one or a two two cat. All of this just seems good. So bottom line, this card's going for about $15, just regular versions right now. Foil Borderless is somewhere in the $60, $50, or $60 range, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you guys think this is going to come way down? Neither of you seem high on it. 
I don't know about way down, but I, I mean, don't. How many cards are going to be worth more than ten dollars in a year in this set? How many? How many cards are worth more than ten dollars for like the base version ever in any set? It's like five cards, right? I don't think this is one of the five cards that's going to be worth more than ten bucks. If this gets down to five dollars, are you buying a brick? No, but not. I I feel like I feel more strongly about other things if i had infinite money i might buy a brick but like i have finite money and i have stuff i like comparing better. to the price of revel and riches a few years out you just think revel's easier to win with so that's why it's worth more revel's more reprintable i think halo fountain is really tough to reprint. okay but do- doesn't that argue in favor of halo then i mean if i liked it okay. sure cool moving right along I'm just being I'm just being objective. I'm like I have my biases, but I'm just saying everything that I think is true and some of it counters my own argument, but I feel like your listeners want to hear that. Um ask for anything else. So final mythic on the list, Luxior Giada's gift. This is the equipment that lets you suit up your uh planeswalkers or uh counter based creatures. It's a only cost one it's a legendary equi- equipment that is mythic equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each counter on it and equipped permanent isn't a planeswalker and is a creature in addition to its other types you can equip a planeswalker for one or equip other creatures for three is this cute or is this going to see broad play in commander jason i kind of thought helm of the host was cute and i didn't buy as much as i wished i had i I think this this could potentially be close to as good as Helm of the Host because it's easier to equip. Like, Helm is just... But it doesn't, like, you Goto win the game. Like, if you cast Goto and Helm is in your deck, you win, which is cool. But, like, this just does some, some dumb stuff. I think people, like, immediately, they're like, oh, Devoted Druid, you make Infinite Green. Stuff like that. Um... People are talking about pairing this with uh, Omnixilis, which I think is cute. I um, I I I don't think this is as effective as people think. I think it has a lot of potential, but I, I don't think it does the stuff people want it to do in the in the decks that'll get played in per se. This just seems a little overhyped to me. Do you think the in the end game, will this see a lot less play, similar play, or more play than, say, something like Shadow Spear? Oh, oh. this will see less play than Shadow Spear. Way less than Shadow Spear. Are you kidding? Shadow Spear is an absurd magic card, and it has it, it gives you it gives you life to keep you in the game, and it, it lets you target creatures you can't target. Shadow Spear is an absurd magic card. This uh, this is a godsend. Which is worth more than I thought it was going to be, but you know, this, this I, I think this is Godsend tier versus Shadow Spear tier. I think that it's. I also agree that this is not as good as people as the hype or current price would dictate. It's currently about twenty dollars for regular copies on pre-order. Um, but the association with Elspeth, the art, the the fact that it lets you do something extremely unique, the only card in the game that can do it, turn planeswalkers into creatures so that they can defend other planeswalkers, for instance, in Atraxa, Super Friends, um, is 
fine. Like I will definitely test it in that deck. I don't know that it earns the slot or not, but it does have, it, it's good that the use case is not quite that narrow because in counters based decks, it just makes something very large, which could be a pretty solid piece of equipment on its own. Um, I definitely want a brick of these. I'm a believer in the card, but I want it to get a lot cheaper than $20. So I hope that it doesn't go anywhere at first. I mean, people are going to throw it in a deck with because they're like, cool, it's a Planeswalker equipment, and then they're going to play it, and they're going to say like, oh, now I can't do cool Planeswalker things with it. Now it's just like my Jace is now a 4-4. Uh, okay. Can you still you can still uh, activate loyalty abilities though, and so you do get to do that stuff, and that's cool. But like, you don't get to you know it's not as broken a, a planeswalker card as uh, the chain veil. It's also not as broken a not as much of an auto include in say attracts the super friends as one of the other cards on the NCC list here that we'll get to in a second. Uh, so I don't like Lux here in Jada's gift because the handle looks bent to me. <laughs> okay. It can't just be me that thinks the handle looks. Bad. I think that's, that's on, weird, I think that's right? on purpose. It, it, that's a that's a Count Dooku lightsaber yeah, yeah. going on. They've there. got a Count Dooku handle. That's what I'm saying. And then somebody on Twitter showed me like they put lines all the way down it, and it looks straight with the really? lines on there. And I'm like, is this it, is a weird it, optical illusion. It makes is, me. Is it an optical illusion? Yeah, it's supposed. It's supposed to be straight. Oh, wow. Well, that it's definitely working that that illusion. Maybe it's just the glare on the top of her knuckles pulls pulls her eye. And that's what Vulcan Baga, that's like a, a really good artist. So like clearly they worked hard on this and and it is straight, but it, I don't know. Yeah. My brain's... I just held the ruler up to my... Monitor. I suspect my play on this is going to be getting cheap copies in Japan because it will be a pointless card over there. Yeah. And that's kind of when I compared it to Godsend because I, I kind of thought that card should be like a bulk rare, but like people are super. Into All right, it. let's move over to the rares, which I think uh, are going to be less controversial overall. Um, the Triomes. <laughs> uh, everybody was very excited when we found out the Triomes were going to be included in this set because we made so much money on the Ikoria Triomes. The problem is everybody knows that Triomes are good now. And so these aren't pre-ordering at 4 or $5. They're pre-ordering at nine to fifteen dollars just for regular versions and foil borderless are like 30 to 40 or whatever and none of those are numbers that i'm excited about i really want that those the value of these triumphs to get soft heading into midsummer and the sh com trying to compare these showcase versions to the Ikoria mm -hmm. showcase versions is a joke in terms of art you mean oh yeah like sparrow's headquarters is the only one i really like and I like all of the accordion, like color combinations. I'll never play an EDH. I was buying like foil triumphs of the showcase. I mean, the foil. I spent thousands on those things, but like, I feel good about the it. The one treatment, the, there's two fancy treatments of the triumphs. And the one treatment whose name escapes me, Cliff, let me jump in if you remember it. Uh, they all look pretty bad. Skyscraper? What is it? I think it's called Skyscraper. Yeah, those are terrible. The borderless ones with the more deco-oriented art, I think, are fine. I think they were jarring to people because they don't look like the Ikoria ones, and people were hoping that the whole look and feel of it would line up, but that never really made sense given the two different planes. Um, it's unfortunate. And there's been uh, armchair uh, theorizing that they will eventually give us an ultimate secret layer that has a unified set of the ten, which will be very, very popular, I would imagine. That would be dope. 
But these, like, they it's not that they just don't look good. They don't look Art Deco enough for sure. me either. Yeah, that's also a valid, a valid discussion point. And, like, that's one of, like, I'm not a person who cares about design, but, like, Art Deco is one of my favorite aesthetics. So I was really excited for that in this set, and I was kind of let down. I feel like the fan stuff people are making on Twitter is better than the Art Deco <laughs> stuff in this set, which is crazy. Bottom line, well, I mean, the all of these have, they just have the, the insignia being so dang prominent you don't have time to enjoy like the art deco lines on the borderless yeah and also it's like a is like here's outside here's what outside looks like in a crazy world where all the creatures are mutants and the humans are haunted to extinction and then it's like yeah it's indoors yeah this is what rafine's tower looks like indoors you like the lobby of this here's, building here's five like, offices yes yes yeah right <laughs> here's our cubicles with Zayatora's cubicles. Yeah, I don't know. I, I want to the see The one outside. with the boxing ring, Zayatora's Proving Ground, is like one of the saddest pieces of land art ever. Like, <laughs> so... land should be inspiring. It should be grand, grandiose. It should not look like a shut-down boxing ring. But not even like a regular... It looks like amateur yeah, yeah, boxing. Yeah. Like a like a practice yeah. gym. Yeah, they, they did make a, an interesting choice to just like put the guy cleaning the boxing ring and it's all empty. Instead of, like, the whole crowd going ape shit at some two huge rhinos beating the snot out of each other, you know? Bottom line here is that if the Triomes stay at these prices that are more or less in line with where the Ikoria Triomes eventually got to a year and a half later, then it drains a significant enough a significant enough amount of EV out of the rest of the set that it's going to be real hard for most of this stuff to not crash. How could this? How could these possibly maintain these prices? I mean, I said the same. I mean, because people think they're going to to be the same prices as the Icoria one. Well, and and Ben Blyway still has me over a barrel that uh, Boseju still hasn't gotten under twenty dollars, <laughs> which I, I is yep. blowing my mind that that card, despite its level of play as a rare from a standard set, has been holding twenty five pretty much the whole time. Because nobody's in a nobody's in a huge hurry to race to the bottom on those and it's so so annoying to sell stuff on tcg i mean you were talking about that on twitter yeah. today about how like it's impossible to list 15 different versions of a card well and more more to the point impossible to find to discover interesting versions of cards because of the way that they're the, yeah. the search algorithm set up and the fact that it's very utilitarian there's no like collector's corner highlighting the you know, if they did a partnership with EDH Rec where they were pulling your data on the top five commanders of the week and then using that to highlight the top five most played cards um, cross-referenced against the, the last three sets or something, they would have... Interesting you should mention a partnership between TCG Player and EDH Rec. Well, I mean, that's good news if that's in the works. Um, anyway, bottom line, Triomes, uh, whatever they get down to, where I see them plateau for a few months, that will still be a a buying opportunity. Uh, it just won't be as sexy as it was with Ikoria where everybody underestimated. Oh man. I, I felt like I was the only one who knew how to do MTG finance when I was buying those. It felt good. Cause I, I for the last three years, I felt like I'm just the worst MTG financer ever. <laughs> Why okay, was I so buddy. good at this in like 2014? I know I'm so bad now. I don't get it. Collector boosters. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That just ruined everything. It just ruined. Hey guys, everything. foils are worth less than non foils. Yes. We did it. There are four versions of a card. We don't have the three to one 
ratio to guide us on when something is popular in Commander versus popular. I'll have, I'll have to, I'll take the flip side of that discussion and point out again that that the Wandering Emperor foil chases were doubles or triples within three months, <laughs> and that shit didn't happen out of standard sets before booster fun came along. Um, yeah, it's certainly the finance maybe got easier, but it got boring. <laughs> okay, I'll take I'll take this version of boring all day. Um, professional face breaker. This card's great. That's got the best name of a magic card in the history. Of two magic. and a red, two three. Oh hum- man, this set, this this set is all great names. What are you talking about? Two three human warrior with menace. Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, create a treasure token. Sacrifice a treasure. Exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. You know what card this card likes? Bootlegger stash. Now all your your lands tap for drawing cards. Exiling mm-hmm. cards, but mm. yeah, but at will. You were just stop trying to make bootleggers. <laughs> stash don't don't try to make fetch happen, Chilcott. Uh, do we all agree? Professional Facebreaker is an obvious commander stable. Oh yeah. Do you think this is it, Professional Facebreaker is the seventh most played card in the set currently, right. uh, and one of the most obvious bricks to my eye. Uh, well, it's uh, it's Grim Hireling, which was which is a card that did yeah, Grim, well. and people just remember that. Yeah, you could go on Card Kingdom, buy a bunch of Grim Hirelings. They won't send them to you. <laughs> It'll be great. You probably can't leave that in. They, yeah, you gotta they, get that out. <laughs> they um, they posted some very attractively priced Judge Foil Markovs a few months back, and a bunch of the pro traders jumped in and snapped them off, and then they all got canceled. But they did. Oh, but they did allow everybody to have dibs on the same price if inventory restocked, and most of us did get them back. Oh, that's that's nice of them to do so, that. I got screwed on the hireling. So Grim Hireling, as an example, uh, the extended art version got down to about three dollars and is currently at fifteen. Woo! And. This is a slightly less awkward Grim Hireling. So I would imagine that when whatever the professional facebreaker extended arts get down to, and currently you're looking at, let me bring it up. But when's like when's peak supply on this? That like that's not a thing anymore, because it's like I used to say when people stopped drafting the set, that was peak supply. Right. But like people never started drafting the set. We're in an awkward position because there are actually LGSs open and running tournaments in this this in the sections of the world that are pretending COVID doesn't exist. Um, but yeah, I mean the the wait six to twelve months to pick stuff up still applies, but it tends it's... to apply to the not the best cards. The cards that are flagged early tend to accelerate faster than they used to, and. And then yeah. a bunch of the other stuff where the EV bleeds away from it gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And if you look at like a set like the Strixhaven um, uh, Mystical Archives, okay. or you look at the Time Spile remastered Old Border Foils, that's exactly what we've seen. Like the, the best of those things keeps going up. And the ones that people didn't care as much about has faded and faded. Now, I wrote <clears throat> uh, that 
uh, to, on your point about when it is, Jason, I think it's at least six months, probably more like eight, because I've gotten burned several times uh, last year on buying things uh, exactly when you said when the next set came out, because that should have been peak supply, but clearly that, that's no longer the case. So we, we got to be more patient before we get in at the, the bottom of the market. I See, again, I, I think that it depends on what you're talking about. Like if you look, again, if we look at those chase cards, chase cards are t- taking off hard and early because of their extreme rarity. Well, then the question is, do you think this is going to be a chase card? Or are you hoping to buy it at a, a, a brick at, you know, a couple bucks each? I, well, if we look, if this hits a couple bucks, like you won't be able to stop me from taking out a second mortgage. <laughs> well, if we look at Grim, well, right if we now. look at Grim Hirelings pattern because I think that's a pretty like apt comparison. Came out last summer. Mm. Immediate Hireling was the commander card. This is not a commander card. Are you saying that was in a commander precon? No, I'm saying Grim Hireling wasn't it commander only. Uh, yes, yes, it was. Yeah. But we're talking about the extended yeah. art, so they're they're housed in the same. Collector boosters, so it's it's pretty comparable, right? But there's a there's a dedicated slot in a commander booster for the non foil extended arts. So like every commander booster had one extended art, and this was just a rare. It wasn't even the mythic. Uh huh. So I'm I'm saying that like you're comparing. There will be three times as many of these as Grim Hireling. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I don't want to say exactly what the math is. I hate like speculating on what it is, but this is just a regular rare that you can open all over the place. You heard it here. Cliff said three times. <laughs> yeah, but Cliff, I'm not talking about the regular version. I'm talking about the EA and the prices on that are decoupled from the regular price. You know what? If That's you... another thing that was really hard for me to adjust to as an MTG financier who's used to things being kind of obvious. So let's just go back to the, cause Jason's point, I think still stands grim hireling. It's a summer, it's a AFR was under opened versus what streets could be. So I think that's actually a more valid point. But the lowest price point on Grim Hireling Extended Arts was pretty much opening weekend. It has done nothing but go up. It's been a couple of like upsy downsies, but it's generally a 45 degree line out from opening weekend. Which is just bonkers because it took like non-pro traders so long to clue and currently like if you look at the lag between like a pro trader post about grim hireling and like uh, the mtg finance subreddit it was weeks the card was going up the whole time and it, it it still felt like anyone who wasn't like paying attention for a living missed it and i I can't imagine that happens again this soon on such a similar. Let's card. put it this way: if I see bricks of the extended arts this weekend on opening weekend under four dollars, I'm grabbing them for sure. Wow, opening weekend. Yep, because Grim Hireling did nothing but go up from opening weekend. Well, if it's four bucks, are you going to feel like an asshole if it hits three, or no. you're going to be like, I locked no, in no, no. four and I feel that, great? That's the about whole thing. It. Like we have like pro traders that like are trying to save a like get stuff for three, not four, and they're going to wait to get it, and it's like. If you think the card's going to be ten to twenty in two years, it doesn't. It, it doesn't yeah. matter whether it's three or four. Just buy some at four, some at three. Like I, I did some pre-ordering this week for for some stuff from this set overseas that I thought was underpriced. Um, and I bought yeah. two different carts from Card Kingdom on Rabble Rising, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, uh, foil extended arts at three fifty. Like, come on, the that's a magic card. Bottom line, I think I think Facebreaker extended arts under five dollars on an eighteen to twenty four month timeline are probably very good. And if the foil ex, if the foil That's extended good. arts get down to under ten, same kind of thing. 
The counterpoint to that is that one of my pet cards, Thieving Skydiver, foil extended arts of that rare from a uh, heavily open standard set, sat at $5 for a solid two years. Which, did people play <laughs> oh, yeah. that card? That card steals soaring. Yeah, it steals tons of things, <laughs> as I demonstrate every time I cast it. Every okay. time, if, if there's a skull clamp on the board, I'm drawing two for three mana. So I've been, this weekend I was playing Satoro and stole somebody's soul ring and then attacked the skydiver, bounced it back to my hand, put a ninja into play, hit them, got the ninja trigger, and the next turn stole somebody <laughs> else's soul ring. All right. Professional face breaker is in uh, about one in ev- the FEA is going to be in about one in every 150 collector boosters. And Grim Hireling was the pull one every 104 collector boosters. Okay. So, so there's basically 30, it's 50% less rare than Grim Hireling? That is a good way to put that, Okay. Yes. So that, that means that my target my targets are pretty reasonable. Like if it gets down to about three bucks this weekend EA, that seems like a reasonable entry point. And then... Well, it still hits, probably hits 10 at that point. Yeah. Like, if you're talking about the, the foils, like, you can get the FEA foils under 20 now. So you think they're going to drop some, and then in a couple of years, they'll be back up in the 20 range? Yeah. Okay. But again, Thieving Skydiver foil extended arts are still around 5 or $6 last time I checked, so. Let's just buy them all. What are we I, I've already got, like, 40 of them. I don't know how many more I can take on. I mean, the card's <laughs> so good. Let me just check on that one for reference. There's an ongoing saga around here. 40 listings and the lowest price is now $7. So it's it's up 50% since the first time I called it when it was like $3.5 and slowly draining out as people wake up that this card does so much work. All right. I can only play it on webcam so many times. <laughs> like I, I, I was on Olivia's stream to 200 people and I stole everybody's soul ring at the table. <laughs> like what else can I do as a content creator to, to tell people that, that Thieving Skydiver is absurd? So Facebreaker leverages treasures into cards. It's a relatively unique ability. There's tons of treasure floating around. Seems like a brick. Here's a blue card that people are debating. Is this, how playable is this? How much play will it see? An offer you can't refuse. It's an only an uncommon. So I'm in no rush to, to grab huge bricks, but if they get dirt, dirt cheap this weekend, like if the gaming company posts like 200 copies at 13 cents or something, I think it's probably a pretty safe bet. This is a counter target non-creature spell. So it's a negate, but it costs one blue instead of one and a blue. And the downside is the controller of the spell that you counter creates two treasure tokens. Hey, I, I think people will play this because they opened it. But, like, this is no Swan Song. And the fact that Swan Song is played by competitive players, and I don't think an offer you can't refuse is going to be played by competitive players. I think this will be a card that people play because they have them, but it's a $2 card. It gets cute if you're running Collector Oof or Karn. Sure, you can turn off their artifact, their ability to get mana, sure. Or Viridian Revel, but I I, I think I think the play argument here is they're doing something that's going to win the game, and you need to stop it. And you're trying to be optimize your mana efficiency on your turns, and you don't like leaving more mana up. But is it that different in the mid game to cast Negate instead of this, or for instance to cast Force of Will or Force of Negation instead of this? Would you wouldn't you rather just run run a mana drain? 
Also, keep in mind this is uh, this has got a promo version, yep. so you've got those non foils and foils to consider in terms of the long term. Yeah, who wants what? I, I think I'm happy to just see how this plays out. I could easily see the, the that promo frame, the the heavily played cards in that frame have a tendency to end up being worth money. So, but I, but there's a bunch of them up front, so I'm not in a big rush here. I'm happy to see how this plays out. Currently, you've got 10% of all blue decks since the you added the set to EDH rec, claiming people are running the card. So it's looking decent so far. I may mean, see 11th most played card currently, but like, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so I, I put these, this is supposed to be the top five rares. I think I thought this was a rare, but anyway, we talked about an uncommon. Sue us. Uh, how about Giada Font of Hope? Uh, this card is absurd. This card is better than anybody thinks it is. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit before you were on cast today. Mm, very efficiently costed. Does all the things that you want an angel deck commander to do. And normally I don't think you want to put money into the commander as you, you and I have harped on people for for ages. You want to get the cards that get activated by that commander that are in short supply. That said... I'm hoping this doesn't see any standard or pioneer play at all. Problem is there is a pretty decent angel deck in pioneer. Um, because I think the fanciest versions of this card are going to be worth some real solid money in a few years. What's the nice, what's the it's nicest a, version we can get? Is there a gilded version of this or an, I think there's an etched foil of this, right? Yeah, there is. Uh, yeah. Me, it's on my, yeah. A, a gilded version. Yeah. So it, it, it's thicker. So that's good. You get more <laughs> magic card for your money. There's an etched foil version. So, what a punt! Can we talk about that? We don't. We shouldn't dwell on it per se. But man, what a punt! So anyway, I think I think you should have talked about body launder. Did you, were you like only talking about like the top five mythics? Because I think body launder. Okay, let's 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 double back on that in a second. Giada is currently at five sure. or six bucks. Let's assume Giada gets down to. Is it five yeah. or six? Let's assume it gets down the, to two two or three dollars. Are you buying a brick? Oh yeah! If this is two bucks, I'm I'm going nuts. Yeah. I I think I want a hundred dollar a hundred plus copies of that price. And I, and I think the hidden casual market for things like dogs, cats, furry things, squirrels, and angels, um, pretty easily justifies that kind of move. This is so includable in the ninety nine, but like is still a fine angel commander that like it, there's not a lot not to like about this card. Right. So. So the point you made uh, obtusely there is any other angel commander you might want to run, you're still going to find a home for this in the deck. So it's not just a commander. It's a 99 card. Yeah. I mean, the only the only problem with this is an angel commander is you lose out on the other colors of angel. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. Like, But it, if you care about that, you're just going to buy a copy anyway and slide it into the deck. Still the same number of copies purchased. All right, so moving on. How about Rabble Rousing? Uh, I had this played against me this weekend. Card was insanely good, and I'm curious what you guys think. It is four and a white for an enchantment. Hideaway five, so you look at the top five cards in your library. You pick one of those cards, exile it face down, and then when you attack with one or more creatures, creatures, mind you, not just token creatures, any creature, create that many one, one green and white citizen creature tokens. Then if you control 10 or more creatures, you get to cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost. Uh, let me tell you, this happened within two turns of Rabble Rousing hitting the table every time it was cast. Uh, 
in Ginny Fay, they put a crater hoof under it and then attacked for five, turning it into ten to turn after, and then they hoofed the board and kill everybody. I mean, you hoofed the board. You know, did you need the rabble rousing to hoof the board? It was just you got there. But you, you cast the crater hoof for free <laughs> on turn six. <laughs> I, I'm this is this is getting some play. You know. So Okay, fine. This is this is played about as much as Gallagher's. Would you would you just, create a white base token deck and not include this? I would never create a white base token deck. It's not just white. It's like it oh, includes not, white. not mono yeah. white, but like yeah. white based. Uh, uh. This to me Hideaway five when you're what, it's turn five. Let's say it's turn four. Sure. So how many cards are left in your deck? Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So like eighty nine cards left in your deck that what are the odds the top five is gonna have a crater hoof or something like that? Like I just the hideaway is the best part of this, and hideaway is just so goofy that I don't want to pay five mana if I whiff on hideaway and then I'm just Doing the fairest thing ever, which is making one 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 when I no, attack. No, that's not what it does. It doubles your, your all creatures attacking. You create. Oh, it's you insane. Create that uh, yeah, that's one one. That's a okay. And that's a lot even, better. Even, Plus, if you have parallel yes, lives or something like yes. that, it just it, and it doesn't yeah. even care if they're tokens. You can attack. So really, it's like, do you take out divine visitation for this, or do you take out? Well, yeah, you've got parallel lives, anointed procession, doubling season, and and. Uh, the four four angel card you just mentioned, and and the question yeah. is is doubling season better or worse than rabble rousing in the token deck? I would argue rabble rousing might just be better. Well, rabble rousing is not seventy dollars, also. Sure, but my point is like I I might take so, a doubling season for this God. in the tokens deck because you get the hideaway five on That's... top of doubling the tokens. I would take out primal vigor for this okay. maybe. I primal vigor gives it to everybody. Like you're you're yeah. gonna let other people have fun and that that's not what i want to do so so i'm gonna make the <laughs> argument i i yeah. think this is a very good uh tokens card i think it's gonna see a lot of play i snapped off non-foils foils extended arts and foil extended arts over the weekend two different cards from card kingdom um and a couple this is gonna get bulky i think yeah this, this is the price Please points forward. i jumped in on on it so far and with a full expectation, I could get them even better later. So foil extended arts were three ninety nine, extended arts were two forty nine, foils were one forty nine, and regulars were ninety nine cents. If they get to forty nine cents or whatever, cool, I'll buy more. But I think that within two years, I am going to more than double up on those non foils to card kingdom. Because just, I'm with know, Jason. I, I, think, I, I wonder how many other people really misread well. this card because I don't see anybody talking about it. But this is actually doing pretty solid numbers on EDH right? compared to you know something like Vivian or Endless Detour. Or, you know, cards that are obviously. And one very of the good. nice things here is that in in New Capenna, you get both Jetmir and Genife as strong tokens commanders, and then there's all the other token commanders that already exist. And then all the ones that will come in the future. And lots of those commanders are going to find a home for this card. So I'm a big believer. I'm bricking it up with rabble rousing. Uh, let's look at an even more busted tokens card. 
Uh, how about Benny Brax, zoologist? This is a mythic that is designated NCC, so you would think it would be in the commander decks, but it's not. It's in the set boosters, and then extended art and foil extended art versions are found in the collector boosters. Sorry, in the set boosters, and then extended arts and foil extended arts are in the collector boosters. And Mr. Benny Brax is a really quite ridiculous white card. It's a 3-2 for 4, but it has Convoke, so you're going to use your tokens to get it in for whatever you need to on the turn in question. It's an Elf and a Druid, both of which are relevant, and then at the beginning of each end step, if you create a token this turn, draw a card. And again, not a token creature, any token. So you create a treasure, draw a card. If you have Smothering Tithe, yeah. But this is mono white, so you don't get a ton of help. It just it seems like you're gonna draw fewer cards than you would if like Mangara was your. Commander. Oh no, but I'm talking about this is ninety. But this is a ninety nine card in, to, in white white token stacks alongside Rabble Rousing. Not as the commander. I mean, sure, yeah. I mean, in the ninety nine, this this I don't know. People are. I, I saw some Twitter discourse where people are like, "Are you are you drawing anything with Mangara? Or are you just taking it out?" And I think Mangara requires them to do stuff, to draw cards. But I don't think people are assessing mangara as a you don't draw cards because you made them not do a thing they were going to do so i think if people are sort of souring on that either they're they're like i don't want to pay four mana for a creature that does nothing or they're like i'm sick of letting my opponents dictate whether i draw cards and i want to if i can proactively make tokens on their turn i can draw more cards so i i'm interested to see if if Benny Brex ends up worse than Mangara or better, because people are really starting to change their tune on that card that they were very excited about. Two I think Mangara is very medium, and I think they've given us eight to ten white cards in the last year that are all about that same power level. You got things like Wedding Ring, um, Monologue Tax, etc., that are all kind of trying to do the same thing. <laughs> They, they, they've been yeah. trying to hit a power level below smothering tithe but above people's people's yeah. expectations yeah. for white and they've just they're just throwing idea after idea at the wall one of the problems but like every yeah like every set they're like oh you know we don't think the um the weathered wayfarer variant in this set is as good as the you know as it needs to be so they'd like I get excited about a card and then the next set has like a better version of it and it's I just... think that's a real thing because I think that the the attention, like the focus of the player base on all these white cards is going to get more and more fractured as they keep trying different avenues. And some of them will float to the top. One of the things I like about Benny Brax is that it's proactive it, and it reacts to, in tokens, creature tokens decks, it's an obvious auto-include. But if you happen to have Smothering Tithe in that deck and a few other ways to generate other kinds of tokens, whether that's food or clues or whatever then you're always going to get that trigger. And yes, it's only once per turn, but it's once per any person's turn. So if you can create a token on each person's turn, you could get four yeah. cards back on the first turn cycle. And it's also just not the kind of card anyone's going to kill. Like, no one's going to be like, oh, the biggest threat at the table right now for my point removal is your... Is <laughs> many bricks. So it's going to sit there and generate incremental advantage for two, three, four turns and hopefully get you to your next you know, what, whatever it is you're looking for. Um, more to the point, this is a fucking mythic. It looks like it's a rare, but it's a mythic. A and yeah. so the foil extended art version of this 
is probably going to be very hard to find and very expensive. How, how many packs do we need to, to pull this guy? Cliff, do you have that on hand? Uh, I don't because uh, the foiling part in the set booster, I, I haven't been able to get um, a clear read on that yet, and I'm trying to. Well, I'm talking about the foil extended art version. No, I, I get that, that you'll find uh, in the, the collector. Oh, no, the F, right, the FEA. Uh, this would be since this is the only version. Uh, this would be probably in the two eighty to three hundred range once I'm done recalculating. <laughs> yeah, these these if this catches on at all, those are going to be real expensive. I, the lowest price I saw in Europe was something like eighteen dollars, and I balked at that price. But that might actually be the correct entry point. And if it gets any lower, all the better. I, I put this in the top third of the white card, like the white resource cards from the last two years. And none of the none of those that's, are mythics, and none of those have a foil mythic. That's so hyperbolic. It doesn't even matter if you're right. I think I think it really matters that it's a mythic, and there's a foil extended art mythic version of it which was not true of any of the rest of those cards. A lot of those cards, like your monologue taxes and your wedding rings, only exist in extended art non-foil. So their drop, people's expectations of their price point based on those drop rates will be skewed, and they will miss on the Benny Brax opportunity. Um, moving right along, I've got a couple of other value creatures that I think are worth, or value cards that are worth comparing it to. There's a card called... Master of Ceremonies. Um, this one, to me, looks like the kind of thing that will end up in a whole bunch of different decks, and people will discover it over time. It's not like a huge flashy card, but it just does a ton of work for as long as it stays in play. It's three and a white for a three, four Rhino Druid. So similarly costed to Benny Brax, but doesn't have Convoke. At the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent chooses money, friends, or secrets. If they choose money, you get a treasure. If they choose friends, you get a 1-1 citizen. And if they choose secrets, then you and them draw a card. I would guess... Well, you you and that player get that benefit no matter what they choose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they... Yeah, everybody gets either two of... Yeah, so they can choose to get a treasure, in which case you do. They can choose a creature, in which case you do. They can choose a card, in which case you do. A pretty nice political card that, yes, it gives your opponent stuff, but it also gives you more stuff. It's kind of like one the kind of card where it's like you draw three cards and each opponent draws one. Yeah. But it happens over and over. Or like, uh, yeah, or like uh, th those tempt cards. Yeah. Yeah, the tempting, yeah. Look, yeah, look at the, <laughs> like, tempt with the, the, the one that makes tokens, one that gets land. All those are pretty solid. And it's like, yeah, everybody gets a thing, but I get three things, and three is more than one. So, like, I help the table three, but I help myself three times as much as any other one player. And I think we have precedent for, like, that math working out in your favor and it being super worth it to do that. Yeah, this is... Benny Brax fits really, really well in the tokens deck. This is more of a just Mangara equivalent. Like... In that slot, you could run Mangara, you could run this, you could run Smuggler's Share, which people seem to be thinking is the best white card uh, in the NCCs, um, something that I'm dubious about. 
The, the thing I don't like about Smuggler's Share, and let me just bring up the text on that. I think it's basically they if they drew two cards in a turn, you get to draw a card. And if they play two, put two lands into play, you get a treasure. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and it's an enchantment for two and a white. Is that the two lands per turn seems pretty like situational. Either they did something like Prismatic Vista or Evolving Wilds or a fetch you know ktk uh onslaught fetch land and then you're going to get that benefit but you're only getting one to treasure token out of that or they drew two cards and then you draw a card and it's at the beginning of each end step i can see games where that this card is very very good and then games where aren't that many land triggers going off and they're playing around it in terms of like, they can wait for this trigger to stack at the end of somebody's turn and then cast their card draw spell if they want to later in the step. But I still, this still looks yeah. like medium good to me. Yeah, it seems... I think it's better than monologue attacks. I don't think Master is very good because you have to wait so long for it to do anything, but, you know, I see why you think it will be... You mean because the triggers are on the next upkeep? Yes. Okay, well, there's another card that's just like that that I would like to discuss in detail. Let's talk about Protection Racket, a card that I tested significant, uh, extensively this weekend and was surprised to find is seems very powerful. Two and a black enchantment. And at the start of your turn, you basically, for in turn order, you flip a card off the top of your library in your upkeep, and the person either lets you keep it or exiles it. If they exile it, they have to pay the casting cost of that card in life to exile it. Otherwise, you draw the card. So when people looked at this and we were discussing it in the Discord before anybody had tested it, the, the feedback from a lot of people was, well, they're just it's just like one of these bad choicey cards where the your opponents are never going to let you keep anything good. And then it's going to occasionally cost them some, some life. In theory. It's it's Phyrexian Arena when they pay the life, right? Like if you've seen any time where an opponent can like pay life to to make somebody not be able to draw something it really speeds the game up so like this is shaving this is adding 15 minutes of not playing webcam edh to your life <laughs> versus like drawing you extra cards and that's what i like i would pay i would pay ten dollars not to have someone tack a bunch of turns and the honestly the you're exactly right because that's exactly how it played out the reality of this card was i dropped i played started my opening hand on purpose uh stacked the the hand on three played it and for the next five turns the table burned through 20 to 25 life and ended up giving me five or six cards we then had somebody else's deck do the same thing start the game with it in their hand and they burned like 30 life and drew like nine cards by the end of the game because the way it works out in actuality is that by the mid to late game they have to make much tougher choices like, I, I, I find Blightsteel Colossus on the top. Oh, you think you're just going to, like, deny it by giving up 11 life? But you're at 15. Are you going to 4 with the board fully loaded just to get rid of that one card that I may or may not swing at you? Or are you going to negotiate? The other thing is, this card is very political. So astute political players are going to get a lot more mileage out of it because you get to say things to people like, um, okay, uh, I just drew a kill spell. Uh, I'm not going to point it at you, so let me have it. Yeah, let me let me have this and I'll smoke yeah, their and, card. Yeah, and then you get it yeah. for free. And you end up getting a bunch of extra cards that way that 
people might assume that would have been denied. They, they're not going to be denied because they're not pointed at that person. So they have no reason to spend the life. So you can just end up with like seven or eight side contracts <laughs> about how you're supposed to use cards. Um, I think this card is super underrated. Uh, protection Racket for just two and a black ends up doing 10, 15, 20 life damage to the table. As you said, Jason, it speeds up games um, in the same, much the same way that Go does as a mechanic and draws a bunch of cards. And I think comparing this card to a bunch of those white cards, like Master of Ceremonies, like Rose Room Treasurer, the red card, um, this is cheap and effective resource generation. I mean, Yeah, but I mean, if I'm being fair, I can say some of the same things I've said about like, is this a, do you take out your cunning rhetoric for this? Yes. I think sort it is better deal. than cunning rhetoric. Wow, that's so ballsy. I love cunning rhetoric so much. I think that card's absurd. I mean, that was, that was also underrated. And but I think that's, maybe cunning rhetoric is like a better no mercy. And, um, you know, we're talking about like a better Phyrexian arena. So maybe. You could drop to three cards a turn and not have to pay any life. That's yeah. kind of nuts. I mean, it's 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 better than Phyrexian Arena. I, I I think you actually take Phyrexian Arena out for this, and and I don't oh, even think it's no close. Way. Phyrexian Arena is is max. Uh, okay. Phyrexian Arena was a card that was printed in 1998. I think we can like do but better than lots that, of finally, people still right? run Arena, and I mean Necropotence is a big burst of cardboard, so that's a different story. But Arena is slow and steady. I still still see people run Underworld connections. There's a whole bunch of like incremental card draw that is much slower than uh, Protection Racket is. And Cunning Rhetoric is in 12,000 decks on EDH Rec. Um, yeah. was a, it's a one, in just one year, I guess that was part of the Strixhaven Commander decks. And that one reads, yep. two and a black enchantment. Whenever an opponent attacks you or one of more Planeswalkers you control, you exile the top card of that player's library. And you can play that card as it remains exiled, and you can spend mana of any color to cast it. The problem with that is you are getting access nope. to cards. You don't have to finish that sentence. There's no problem with Gunner and Rhetoric. It's just, it's just an absurd magic card. It's good. So it's good. good but you, I'll play them both. That's you I, you're not guaranteed synergies for your deck from the thing you find on top of theirs. But that's a no mercy. It's not a. You're saying it's a strategy. Cunning rhetoric. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Whereas, whereas Mangar, like it's back to the Mangar argument. Like Mangar stopped them from doing a thing, and people are underrating. Protection that. racket, on the other hand, is much more proactive because those triggers go off every turn. The other thing is, it you still people said, oh, well, they're just going to take the the card you really need, and they're going to get rid of it. Well, hopefully your deck isn't depending on one card if you're playing EDH. Hopefully you've built your deck to be a bunch of interlocking synergies. And the argument that they got rid of a card is the same argument about milling or looting, right? Like, those cards could have been on the bottom of your deck. The fact that they ended up inaccessible to you is kind of neither here nor there, because it was just as likely that they them exiling three cards off the top got you closer to the card you need to win the game. Either of those two things could be true, so you can ignore them both. Yeah. Can I say... Can I say two words in defense of Protection Racket? Go ahead. Paradox and Haze. Yeah, yeah. Because then you get six. <laughs> we talked about that while we were playing, that, that there was a bunch of busted bu thing, ways that you could bust it. Because you can also use Stryonic Resonator to double one of the triggers, right? And the Sphinx, yeah. yeah. So... I think Paradox Haze is like one of the cards that will be in your 99 that your whole deck is based around. Like you just said, I hope you didn't build your deck around it. I think Haze is the card that you build around. 
This is yeah. That's the reason Sphinx of the Second Son isn't legendary. So protection racket, you still get your normal draw step. Like no matter what, yeah. you're still drawing a card that turn. Like they don't get to shut off your draw step or anything. So if they're yeah, but early, the, if you play this super early, they're gonna exile a bunch of your gas, and you're gonna be like, well, that sucks. But yeah, yeah, but it could just as easily draw you to something that's better, right? Like that's that. That argument's kind of neither here nor there. The one thing I will say against it, though, that people do need to be aware of, uh, is that if you're hurting for lands, you will never get one. Because it costs them nothing to deny it's you free. lands. Yeah. So you, you yeah. never get lands. And you'll, you're not going to get soul rings. Like, any of that stuff early game, if you play this on turn three or four, they have no reason not to give up a life or two to deny you that stuff. But it, in practice, I, I recommend people try it for themselves the card will do a lot more work than you think. Like there was one game where I dropped it and it did nothing because the somebody killed us on turn five or something. But no matter what I did that game, it wasn't going to matter. Like in the, unless you, you have your own instant two card combo, then you're going to lose those games. All right, moving along. Uh, protection racket is currently pretty similar to um, rabble rousing. I think it's going to get real cheap. I think it's going to be underestimated. And then as Jason drives home all the time, keep your eye on the EDH rec stats to see if people catch on to the card because they may or they may not. Uh, Into Deep. Cute little blue card. Best card in the set. You think it's the best commander card in the set? He just likes the name. (laughs) A, I I love the song. Uh, And B, uh, I think... Like we love split stack. I talked about this for like ten minutes uh, two weeks ago or last, last week. Ago. I don't even remember. It was last week. So like, I I could go over it again. It's two blue mana for a split second enchantment. Turns a uh, creature into a clue, and they can sacrifice it. But the fact is, it's split second. Yeah, like, not, people not being able to respond is a big deal. Yeah, screw all the stuff you're gonna do to protect your stuff, uh, unless you have. Uh, an unmorphed will bender ready to fire you are boned you cannot do anything else or you have uh some flag bear action going on which you know you're you're having to dig deep on that but that's where it's at i think this card is going to see a ridiculous amount of play and uh, i don't know uh what the the numbers will be and it doesn't look like it's available in foil in either condition so, like, we won't have EA foils to chase or anything, but I just think that In Too Deep is going to be the one of the most played cards from this set of stuff. Goodness. It's notable that... Wait, it's notable that... what song? Is that Sum 41? No, uh, it's... Uh... I'm thinking about you know I love you, but I just can't take it. I'm in too deep. I think it's oh yeah, song. Genesis. All right, <laughs> that's better. Wow, Genesis. Some forty-one. Nobody under twenty-five has any idea what you're talking about. Listen, we made a Muppet Show joke at the top of this segment. Yeah, Jason, we sure did. So like, you you need. No one to under twenty-five remembers off. the Muppet Show. They think I'm talking yeah. about. Well, no, they don't remember Muppet Babies either. Man, people under twenty-five. Yeah, I I showed a lot. I showed a lot of the Muppets. She was she was down with it. The um, all right. So there's a couple of things here. Split seconds very good. Uh, blue removal is at a premium, and the fact that you can take care of a planeswalker this way is probably the sexiest part of the card. Um, because if you do it to a commander, they 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 sack it as a clue, draw a card, and then their commander just goes back to the command zone. So you're basically just adding some tax um, 
but they get to trade that tax for a card. So not amazing against a commander. But uh, I agree that it's going to see a lot of play. Uh, I haven't rushed in on this one because I think they're still pretty pricey. I think Card Kingdom had about five bucks or something. And I am happy to see these float lower before I get excited. Listen, I didn't expect people to play Raven form. I sure didn't. What are foil ra- Raven forms better. going for these days? Although I think Imprisoned in the Moon or whatever it is is probably the closer analog. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just saying. I, I really didn't think people are going to play Raven form, and so many people are. Like, this seems real good compared to that, which a, a card I don't like. So. so Imprisoned in the Moon foils are nine dollars down to seven listings on tcg player so that sets a pretty pretty solid precedent sounds like i should just spend 63 bucks and cause some chaos (laughs) (laughs) uh one more card i want to talk about from the ncc's um very similar to the white uh four mana card but in red rose room treasurer three red four three alliance whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your turn the first or the second time in a turn you get a treasure token Beyond that, subsequent creatures trigger an ability where you pay X, and when you do, Rose Room Treasurer deals X damage to any target. So in the tokens decks, first two tokens pay you back in terms of treasure. So if you cast an X spell, you're getting a discount on that. Um, And once you get into having a bunch of free mana every turn, potentially because you're running uh, Bootlegger Stash or whatever, you can start doing X damage to targets as your third token comes into play. Too cute? I'm not. Yeah. Maybe. You've got to do something to make the token, to to make the third token, and then have X mana available for whatever shenanigans it is you want to do. It just seems easier to play Warstorm Surge and deal damage equal to the power of the tokens that come into play. Sure, but this is also a mana generator. Like this could this could just as easily read token producing spells cost two less as a four three for four, and then the upside is that the third token per turn has an X spe- red damage spell attached to it. That seems reasonable. Like I can't I I can see running this in Naya tokens. Every creature coming with a treasure token is really good. I'll give you that. I think this one's going to be underrated underplayed um, i put it along the same lines as grand crescendo which likewise seems to me like an auto include in the token stacks this is an instant for x double white create x one one green and white citizen creature tokens it's got terrible art but creatures you control also gain indestructible until end of turn so it's kind of got a, a proactive end defensive mode to it um, generates tokens relatively efficiently and then lets you either swing in with indestructible or block with indestructible or stop a wrath from clearing your board all of which seem pretty good because the wrath the anti-wrath portion could be cast for just two white without making any additional tokens is this card is yeah. this card good enough to just play in white decks period mm. you're not in tokens you just want to give your creatures indestructible no i don't know i, I... Is it that different from Heroic I feel like if you put this in, they're going to print something better in the next set. Is it that different from Heroic Intervention? <laughs> I mean, Intervention, you just... You feel good knowing that you you can't... They're, they're safe from almost everything. So this is safe from a lot of things. Well, in neither case, you're, you're not safe... You're, 
are you safe from exile effects or meat hook massacre so we're really just talking about damage and destroy and destroying the board via wrath slash damnation wipes i mean i'm i'm anticipating this gets close to a brick it's gonna get like, cheap right pretty cheap. yeah it's gonna get cheap yeah and i'm i'm gonna be looking forward to buying a bunch of these uh, that's that's what we said the other week and i i think nothing's really changed my mind about that okay you know, you've got a great case of two mana, and you got a great case of six mana, so. Let's talk about some of the chase cards in this set. we got Borderless Foil Triumphs. We already touched on those earlier. I think we all agree that if they get low enough, they will be buys because they'll make money. For as long as they leave the Triumphs alone, they will go up. <laughs> but the, the only problem here is I need to see how low they can get because the cat's out of the bag and everybody knows. Uh, the fanciest version, most desirable version of Obnixilis is Obnixilis the Adversary, the Showcase Foils, currently at some ridiculous price. Uh, the Showcase Foil Obnixiluses are pre-ordering at $85. So I would keep your eye on that. There's the Borderless Foil Bootlegger Stash. If you believe in the card, that's the version to watch. Has the fanciest you could possibly add to your collection. There's an etched foil showcase Elspeth that is currently at $180 or something. Yeah, that seems a little okay. high. Uh, this one look. I mean, like, I didn't really think the last two Praetors were that good either. And then they made Urobras so bad they didn't even try to make it the, the chase card in this set, which is funny. Well, it's, it's at a, a ridiculous print rate. Like, it is rarer than... FEA Jeweled Lotus. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I don't... I don't know. I, the Elspeth is probably okay. I think it's. I think the art plus the character plus the rarity of the etched foils, even though these etched don't actually look that good, they look okay, good, yeah. like not amazing, just fine. I like the uh, Zelspeth Fitzgerald look, certainly. Yeah. And actually, both pieces of art are nice. The Borderless Foil also has some of the nice, the, the better art in the set. Um, I just think people like this character, and I suspect that this is going to be popular with collectors. Uh, worth noting that Soren the Mirthless soared to 200 or 250 before coming back down under 100 a couple months later as people turned their Ooh. attention to Neon Dynasty. So it doesn't always work out, on, and you, gotta, you do have to time your premium uh, purchases correctly. Yeah, but Soren... Soren had the um, the uh, oh biscuits. What was the name of the artist who did that special? Kojima, version? from Castlevania. Kojima, yeah. So like you have that crossover. It's just like with the um, with the Liliana from from Amano. Yeah, the Amano Liliana. Yeah. So like we don't have that level. Like no no offense to Tom Roberts on the Borderless or um, he hearts on the uh, Art Deco foil. But like neither of those is an iconic uh, person who's got crossover nostalgia about it. Yeah, but what the Elspeth has that Wandering Emperor didn't is a much longer character history. Like Wandering Emperor isn't nothing. It was only cool. It became cool like 12 minutes ago. Whereas Elspeth has been a beloved character for 15 years or whatever. So there... I don't know what my entrance will be like on Elspeth's. I suspect the the move on Elspeth is just to sell your collector booster found copies this weekend into the hype. Um, Definitely. But 
because I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to run the risk that they're gonna you know be quartered in price. Um, similar to something like Lord Xander the Collector Gilded Foil, um, those are probably gonna be worth money down the road. Xander is what top top five commanders in the set so far, Jason. Xander. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Xander's actually number four right number now. Number four. But, but I like I don't expect Rocco Cabaretti Caterer to remain number five. So like I, I think there's going to be a little bit of shuffling, but maybe not among the top four. I think Jetmir, Rafine, Giada, and Lord Xander are untouchable, but I could see Agnes sneaking into the top four. Gotcha. Um. You were talking, you mentioned Urbrask briefly ago. I think this card's underrated. Uh, five mana for a 4-4 four, four haste. At the beginning of your upkeep, you exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn. Um, so you get two cards a turn now. You have two draw steps, but one of them you have to use immediately. So you got to prefer to be running proactive spells. Um, but if it's a land, you just, you know, you're getting a bonus land. That's pretty decent in red. And then your opponents, they have to cast the card on the turn that they get it so passive spells like counter spells are useless if you don't do anything to let them if nobody plays into that that you know the the card is being exiled and everybody can see it so you saw that they got the counter spell you've cost them their draw step and that applies to every player at the table that seems pretty solid for five mana given that you're also getting a four four haste body attached to it I would like the card a lot more if it said every card they drew, you know, if you if it turned off their draws or turned all their draws into play at this sure. turn. But as it is, you know, it because commander players like you're kind of doing it wrong if you're only getting your one draw per turn. And so, like, this doesn't do anything about all the extra. Here's the thing, though. And I agree with that fully. But in one full turn cycle. It's a net plus six cards minus the card you cast, so plus five. Because you're getting, sorry, it's, <laughs> no, got that math wrong. It is plus uh, three cards because you cast, then you're getting an extra draw on your next upkeep, and everybody else lost one draw, potentially. So it could be anywhere from good for one to three cards in the first turn cycle. And then on subsequent turns, that value just piles up. Still, I mean, you guys still don't like it? I, I see where you're coming from. It's just, like, yeah. Orobrask was mediocre before, and now he is even more so. Yeah. He went from being the fifth best Praetor to, like, the eighth best Praetor. Oh. So you guys so you guys are, like, steering clear of Eshtfoil Urbrask. If you open it this weekend, you're selling. I'm outing. Yeah, any yeah. I open, for sure. Okay. And then there is an etched foil Showcase Giada Font of Hope which to, looks to me like something that will, if it, if anybody underprices those, I will certainly start nibbling at them. Because etched foil angel lord cards seem like a pretty decent bet. What do you think is underpriced? Well, currently it is at, how many packs do I have to hit to open one of these things? Uh, it's going to be somewhere in the range of, since there is only, uh, there's two versions you can pull from, so it's around one in every 
140. It's going to be a little higher than that. It's going to be in the like 160 range. They're currently priced at I really $50. Gotta, I got to sit down and do that math. Um, it, I guess it depends on like, do you think it's going to be bigger as the commander or do you think it's going to be bigger in the 99? I, I think it's a mixed use card. It doesn't really matter one way or the other. I just think it's all you really need to know about this card is the popularity of angels. And according to EDH rec in terms of tribes, what are we looking at? So themes, tribes, it's the, Top 10? No. Top 12. It's like 12th most popular tribe. 5,700 EDH rack decks. And includes such commanders as Giada, Kalia, Lyra, Lisa, Avacyn, Thyria, Aurelia, Gisela, Shalai, Safara. But the reality is that a lot of these are not actually angel commanders. Yeah, except for Kalia, you can build uh, angels, dragons, or demons. Yeah, I mean, Kalia probably counts there. Lyra, Avacyn, maybe, depending on what... Because like, Avacyn doesn't really give a shit how you build her, as long as you have creatures and permanents that matter. And then, I guess, Safara. The rest of them are not necessarily angel commanders. Yeah. I think but, I mean, angels is a popular tribe. And then, and then, you know, casual slash collector circles. The art, I the think art will drop a little bit lower. Like we're we're gonna have. Oh a yeah, I don't like it at fifty. Open. I don't know what my entry is on these. Yeah. I, I gotta do some math, but way less than fifty. Yeah, way less than fifty. I'm with you. On I, that. I I will say though that etch foils are gonna be slept on here because not everybody realizes how rare they are. Yeah. I don't know. I can't make myself buy etched foils of a card I think is bad, and I'm like always wrong not to do that. <laughs> so we we went through all this stuff. Were there any like pet cards of yours or stuff that jumped out at you guys that you've been talking about elsewhere that we didn't cover here that you think should have been? Do you know if I say no? Do you know I'm lying because I said something on BSB this week and I've already forgotten about it? <laughs> <laughs> I like Body Launderer. I think. Oh yeah, you wanted to talk about that one. Okay, so it's like five-ish bucks right now, max. Like, man, I don't know. So C- conniving a lot on your turn seems really busted. Okay, so it's a f- ogre rogue for three three. Sorry, three three ogre rogue for four two and two black. Death touch. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, body launderer connives. Remind me what the text of connive is. Uh, you draw a card and then discard a card, and if you discarded a non-land, put a 1-1 counter on it. Right, it's, it's a loot with a creature counter on it. Got it. And then when it dies, you return another target non-rogue creature card with equal or lesser power from your graveyard to the battlefield. Um, all right, so it doesn't work with tokens, but any creature that dies, I get to make another creature bigger if I loot in a profitable way. And then later, I'm grave digging. So it's a really good grave digger. Probably the best grave digger ever. Well, it go- doesn't go to your hand; it goes into play. So it's better than grave digger. Phyrexian Delver gives it a run for its money, sure. but but in in that class of cards, this is like the most push version. Because it's also got Death Touch, by the way. So it's got some rattle rattlesnake. Yeah. I think this is probably better outside of EDH, but this is seeing some EDH play. I mean, this, I, I would probably try this in maybe in my ninjas decks 
because it's a rogue, so it gets silver for a master boost. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it does say non-rogue. It so. also looks like a rare, but it's a mythic. Yeah. Um, it's also true. Plus, he just looks mean. These are only three bucks right now. You think that's cheap, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't know. It, it could be just because, like, I... I it's you know it's played a lot more than some cards that you know like obnixilis devilish valet if it ends up in 10k decks by next year three dollars is going to be cheap yeah 10k i don't know man because that, it's a mythic as a rare it could easily be stuck yeah. at two to three dollars for ages but as a mythic if it sees that much play that's a different story that's a, a bit of an ask it just it seems like it's so cheap but like i think people are just underrating how playable it is and i don't i don't know how financially relevant it's gonna be it's gotta do real numbers and i just kind of feel like they could print something better ah it so, just it, it's a better phyrexian delver and everybody's running delver right so now. here's a good example looking back a year let's look at a very comp- an easy comparable Belladros witherbloom from the set from this slot last year is a mythic and is currently fifteen to seventeen dollars, and it's in eleven thousand decks. And it doesn't see any yeah. play outside of EDH, so that's EDH specific play. <laughs> and the next most expensive EDH mythic would be like Shadrick's Silver Quill, which is a five dollar card, and is in only six thousand decks. So you want to? If you, yeah, I've taken that out of the Dragon. So if you want to be Belladros, if you end up Belladros. You could be a ten to fifteen dollar card. You could be tripling up on yeah, this. Yeah, if you're a Shadrix, then you're going to be hard pressed. Doubling up. Well, let's see what Card Kingdom offers on the buy list because I wouldn't want to sell these onesie twosies at five bucks a piece unless I was on TCG Direct. Uh, car- Get on TCG Direct. <laughs> Being in Canada, that is the one thing I cannot easily do. Uh, Get on F two F Direct. Uh, let's see F two F. Uh, Shadrex selling cards to the card kingdom. I'm gonna bet it is not super attractive to buy list these. Probably not. They are only offering a dollar seventy six credit, so I don't want to be in that position. Belladros. But they offer like this is probably closer to Shadrex and Belladros. Unfortunately, I just man, I just if I'm playing a deck where I want to be doing graveyard stuff conniving every time a creature dies is just busted Belladros, they're offering 650 845 credit i think i am sitting back and watching that card develop if it does better it does better i mean for instance professor onyx which is you know a character driven card price because it's liliana is an 11 dollar mythic that doesn't really see play anywhere outside of edh on edh rec you guys have it at 8200 decks so, but this guy doesn't have the character-driven price boost. Yeah, this is this is not going to be the the head of any decks, unfortunately. And you definitely don't want to end. But up being... I think there's cross-format appeal potentially. Like I think this could be a player outside of EDH. Yep, that has been discussed. Like I think Aspiring Spike had this on his maybe list for modern. So card like this where like it seems like a solid magic card like it's pushed outside of its casting cost in terms of all the different things that it could potentially do in a deck i'm happy to just wait and see how it develops 
Alrighty, that's a, a fair wrap up. I think overall the set is actually sneaky good. People have been comparing it to. I've heard some people saying this is kind of like Strixhaven. This doesn't Strixhaven sneaky good. Sure. The, this I like. I like that description for Strixhaven. Especially in the NCC cards, they're a lot of good cards. In I think just so much pro. If you release a gigantic set and an EDH set at the same time, people cannot possibly be expected to like know what every card does and they just don't because as soon as the edh decks are out we're gonna start getting spoilers for baldur's gate and what's the next set dominaria united like we're um, we're like three weeks away from getting spoiler for that like if you haven't looked at every card in both the edh decks and the regular set you're not gonna so there's gonna be stuff that people play in a year that you have to read and that's i don't know that's just there's too much product. So I think sets are sneakily good just because they sneak them out. I'll say this. Right? I haven't finished set sorting and alphabetizing <laughs> all my collect boosters of Strixhaven, and then they'd already started spoilers of the next set. I'll say this. The three most played cards on EDH Rec from Strixhaven, the set from a year ago, are broadly applicable cards. Stormkiln Artist, 39,000 decks. That's the one that generates treasure every time you copy an instant, you cast or copy an instant or sorcery. Solve the Equation, which is basically a worse mystical tutor, 34,000 decks. And Archmage Emeritus, which is a 2 2, which draws you a card every time you cast an instant or a sorcery. So, monocolor, all three. And yes, they're all instant and sorcery themed, but that was the theme of the set, so no big surprise. Um, worth keeping in mind. The, the hyper-specific stuff doesn't necessarily rise to the top. All right, thanks for uh, joining me on the set review, gentlemen. Let's, uh, I'm very curious to see how this all plays out and which bricks get there and which don't. Jason, where can people find you on the interwebs? I'm a writer for uh, Cool Stuff, Inc. and MTGPrice.com. I'm the content manager for EDH Rec. I'm on the Brainstorm Brewery MTG Finance Podcast, and I am on Twitter at Jason E. Alt. What about you, Cliff? Uh, I feel uh, offended that I have to go second after something like that, but I'll try. Uh, I write uh, Fridays for MTGPrice.com. I'm on Twitter at Word of Commander. All right, and you guys can all find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. Also, like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's finance with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That brings us to the end of the MTG Fast Finance Podcast, number 321. Really enjoyed our discussion today, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us, Jason. And we will see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Thank mm-hmm. you.